If AJ talks on JavaScript Jabber, does anybody hear it? <laughs> Not if I don't have my function key pressed down. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. This show is sponsored by Gaslight Software. They're putting on a mastering backbone training in San Francisco at the Mission Bay Conference Center December 3rd through 5th. They'll be covering Jasmine, Backbone, and CoffeeScript. For more information or to register, go to training.gaslightsoftware.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you from the cowboy sphere of Orem, Utah. We also have Jameson Dance. Uh, I'm coming at you from the bathrobe sphere of Orem, Utah. <laughs> it's much more comfortable than the cowboy sphere. Uh, we have Joe Eames. Coming at you from a cluttered office at Domo. And uh, Merrick Christensen. Hey, guys. So Merrick, right. Merrick's new. Merrick, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. Uh, my name is Merrick Christensen. I've been developing JavaScript for a number of years. Big fan of it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and GitHub and all that kind of stuff. Did you just recently speak at any conferences? Mira? Yeah, actually, I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just spoke at Cascadia JS on Require.js, and actually, what's really cool is they just barely put the videos for that up today, and I was so stoked at how how high quality. So, to the Cascadia JS team, you guys did an excellent job. Are those amazing. videos free? Oh yeah, all free up on YouTube, and uh, there's some cool stuff. There's stuff on like robots. It was it was an amazing conference, and uh, the organizers just did an amazing job. Sounds like fun. Was that up in the northwest somewhere? Yeah, it was. It was actually in Seattle. Nice. Yeah, it was beautiful. I heard that as one of the after party things, they took everybody out to see the James Bond movie. They did. Yeah, they. Which is a really cool idea. It it was amazing, man. They they like whoever went to that conference knows that they got way more out of the conference than than they put into it. Like sponsors must have paid for the huge majority of that conference because they just gave so much. Yeah, they took they took everyone out to Skyfall at the end of the conference, and then after that, everybody went out for sushi. So it was it was pretty awesome. Dang, <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. All right, well, put a link to your talk uh, in the in the chat, and we'll we'll get it up on the show notes. Okay, sure. All right, I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and we're going to be talking about I don't really know what to call it, so I'm just going to kind of explain where it came from. So my background with uh, doing front-end JavaScript work has primarily been, well, I started with Prototype, went to jQuery, moved into Backbone, and uh, my most recent project has been Xt.js, which is put out by the Sencha people. And um, the, the difference is, is that with Backbone, the way I've done it, is that you do most of your DOM manipulation with jQuery after you've just rendered an HTML page. And with Xt, it's, it's kind of you know, this deep area of you call different things and it generates the HTML that provides you with the components you need and does a lot of magic on its end to make those components behave the way that it wants them to. So um, 
I, I thought we could talk about kind of the spectrum between um, DOM management where you just put the HTML up and, you know, fight it with jQuery versus, you know, where you have a full stack framework that provides the DOM and manipulates it for you. Yeah, I, you know, I think one thing that's important to note is is that's only one, I mean, Backbone is awesome because it's, it's just this generic library, right? Like, you can use it in so many different ways. In fact, a lot of people use it kind of like Ext, where you are, you have this sort of object model to generate your UI on the client with like these APIs, etc. And that's, that's why, you know, you have an L property with Backbone, because you can either set that L from manual HTML on the DOM, or you can create that L and then set it with like a template, whether it's underscore templates or handlebars templates or whatever. So you can use Backbone like, you know, you're using EXT. It's just EXT comes out of the box way more featured. Yeah, Backbone, of course, is so uh, unopinionated, right? But then, like, I felt like what Backbone wanted me to do was completely create a DOM node from scratch and then completely recreate it every time I had any changes to my model. That's what I felt like Backbone pushed me into. That's a limitation of the templating library that you use. You don't have to do it that way. There are templating libraries that just, like, we use one that we wrote at ITV called Mold that just uses, um, it, it just updates the DOM in place whenever elements in there change. So it doesn't destroy the element and recreate it. No, and, I, totally, and, I totally get that. What, I, what I'm just saying, I think that when you start out with Backbone, I think it pushes, I think it pushes you that direction. Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's very much truth to that because most people use Backbone with underscore templates out of the box, which, which are great um, for a huge percentage of applications, but, but they do kind of have that attitude of re-rendering the entire DOM template for the particular view and just resetting it rather than maybe listening for a specific key change and updating a specific element within that template. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of mold, Jameson, like, did you guys... Uh, like wrap things in span tags or, or like how did you guys get that kind of seamless updating? We just use little handlebar thingies. I don't know. I didn't write it, so I don't know tons about it, but it, it just walks the, the DOM tree and looks for, um, it looks for changes in variables basically. So it's, it, it, they look a lot like handlebars templates where you have the little double mustache brackets. Wasn't it, um, written, wasn't it written by a guy named Ninja? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so maybe it's unknowable. Kill you if you have to try and find stuff out about it. Right. So, so what are the trade-offs, I guess, between just you know rendering uh, the DOM just by putting HTML up and then telling Backbone to go find the right elements and manipulate them versus using something like the templates? Well, for one, you get you get a uh, better performance uh, for initial page load, or at least like your perceived page load when it ships down with the HTML, right? Because the user sees it immediately. It may not be completely functional because um, the JavaScript hasn't been parsed and and kind of done its work with the DOM yet, but the truth is the the initial reaction is much, much uh, faster. Right, because like- essentially what you're doing is pulling a blank layout from the server instead of having the server render things which takes longer. Well, I don't know. It depends, right? Because because if you're using Backbone, then the server renders it. Well, in the case that you're saying where you just assign it an L, you're kind of doing a hybrid where the server may send down some base HTML and then you're using Backbone views to assign to those elements and maybe know how to replace them. Right. And so the initial 
page load is faster because, well, the perceived load time is usually faster because, um, you got some initial state. Yeah, you got some initial DOM to show the user before the JavaScript gets parsed and run. Right. On top of that, isn't there, I think there's a big difference in, um, how easy it is to work with it, right? I mean, just shotgunning completely, well, Again, this is assuming you're following what I was saying, and that is every time you make a change, you completely destroy the DOM node and completely recreate it. That's simpler than figuring out, all right, one item changed, so I'm going to go and update that one item. So that's another difference between just pointing at an existing HTML node, because if you don't want to keep destroying and recreating it, you're going to need to be able to find that piece in there you want to update and update that piece. So I think that's more yeah. work, more coordination on your side. Yeah. There, you know, to be... To be fair, though, there are a lot of uh, backbone projects, I guess you could say, backbone plugins that work with templating engines. That like, like Derek Bailey, I know, has one called I think Siphon Backbone Siphon, and it does like the subset updating for different pieces in a kind of declarative way. One of my favorite pieces, like I actually in my development tend to lean towards more like an EXTJS, where you just have these sort of components that you're then instantiating and working with like objects. And I like that just because it's more easy for me to reason about and reuse components than having like this separate HTML thing that I'm working on. Yeah, there is definitely that trade-off that I've seen is that you can think about the components in terms of objects and behavior as opposed to actually having to worry about, okay, how do I serialize what I care about into HTML and then on top of that, you know, worry about all the different eventing and things that are related to the DOM elements. So exactly. I'm a little confused about what the difference between these two approaches that you're talking about are. I just want to make sure I understand it right so I'm not listening to a different conversation than what you're having. You're, you're saying what, what you call the EXTJS approach is where you don't deal directly with the DOM at all. You don't write HTML at all. You just have some kind of abstraction that... that puts your data onto the page somehow. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. So essentially what you get is you have these uh, different components. So you can have like containers, and then inside the containers you have different components like text fields or sliders or, you know, uh, they have all kinds of them. But, you know, those are, those are just some examples. So you basically just fill it up with these components, and then those components know how to draw themselves into your, um, into your HTML. Sure. So, and then, so then it, it says this div is the container div, and then you know we're gonna put a label in here with a text field, and it's got to behave this way, and we're gonna attach these validations to it, and so all you really care about is the behavior of the component as opposed to um, what the HTML looks like and how you know all that stuff. Right. And, and then what you're calling the backbone approach is where you directly manipulate the DOM yourself. Right, pre-existing. Pre yeah, like a pre-existing right. DOM. No reason you can't use Backbone with this more like object layer. Like that's how I use Backbone, and I think that's how most. I shouldn't say most, but that's how a lot of people use Backbone. Is they like create these objects and then they abstract away the DOM manipulation behind methods for their views. Mm -hmm. You know, isn't that because of uh, an issue with maintainability? Right, if you, you start off, if you start off with this whole, oh, I'm going to have Backbone um, just use a pre-existing DOM, then as your application reaches a certain critical threshold of complexity, it just makes a lot more sense for you have these components that actually control their own DOM and insert their DOM the way that XJS does. Isn't that sort of a result of that? I mean, going the other way, doesn't it 
end up with a lot more maintenance problems. Well, the interesting thing about Backbone is is you can do both really easily because at the same time, true. Right? Yeah, because they just use the L property, right? Like if if you if you give an if you so I don't know if you guys know, but the L key in a Backbone view, if you point that to like a if you give that like a selector, it'll actually just grab that off the DOM and you can represent that, um, or it will make an element if that doesn't exist. Yeah, I've so seen that's that. that's a lot of how we use Backbone. We, we kind of lean more towards the abstracting away the DOM, but each individual view has a separate template. And when you instantiate a view, you also create the, this DOM, this, this tree of DOM elements that the view needs. And then whoever is creating the view is responsible for putting it into their DOM element. So it's like this tree of views. Um, so it feels like kind of the best of both worlds because if you need to go in and, and actually look at where this HTML is coming from, you can find a template file for whatever you're rendering. But you can also just ignore it and say, I need this layout that tiles stuff in this certain way and then treat it um, from a more abstract perspective. Yeah, we, we use it like that too. And it I, I, I prefer it. It just seems to scale better. And you can also kind of do things where you're like extending your components and it's just a little bit more harder to reason when you're just working off some base DOM element. That's kind of the older... I shouldn't say older, that's kind of the jQuery-ish model, right? Where you have like a DOM element and then you progressively enhance it. And that's just not enough uh, for a lot of these thick clients. Not to be confused with progressive enhancement. <laughs> <laughs> not confused yeah. One other all. thing that I want to point out, though, is with the two different approaches, if you're using a full-stack framework, you're usually more locked into the way that they do things, you know, their conventions. And so if your problem, or at least the way you're thinking about your problem, doesn't completely line up with it, then you're going to wind up fighting your framework for a while until you figure out how to how to kind of merge the two ways of thinking. Where with Backbone, it sounds like you guys are customizing it to the way that you're approaching the problem. And, you know, you're abstracting away the ugly bits and, and you know, with the DOM manipulation and anything else. But you kind of have control of that at all the different layers. And I really like that trade-off. It just feels clean because I get control. I get to say, this is how you render. And if I care about the niggly little pieces in the DOM manipulation, then I can build it in and abstract it away in a meaningful way, where with these other frameworks, I have to work within what they provide me. Yeah, Backbone, Backbone, like I don't even, I wouldn't even say we're customizing it. I think Backbone lends itself really naturally to using it like that. But but I, I agree with you in terms of the problem with EXTJS. It's kind of an all-in, right? Because your views are almost entirely declarative in a lot of ways. Like, you're just declaring the way you want these components to behave. And, like, say you wanted to abstract out a component, it, it seems a little bit too difficult. Well, it's possible, but you wind up... I mean, you still have to play in their playground. So you, you do it in the ways that they have given you to do it. But, you, I mean, you can customize it. It's just... It's not. It's not always as simple as just changing the way that a you know a function does something. Well, and that's Backbone too, right? Backbone is like if you say you're customizing Backbone when you start working with a particular way, but you don't say you're customizing JavaScript when you write a program. Backbone isn't anything. You know, it's, it doesn't have an opinion. You if you don't give it an opinion, then you haven't done anything to it. Yeah. I'm just wondering if AJ's mic has been muted this whole time. <laughs> I'm still yeah. here, just haven't butted in yet. Yeah. So, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the templating 
um, engines that you guys have used, uh, just because it's it's inter- interesting to me in the way that it generates HTML and how that affects the DOM. So you guys want to just sound off with the ones that you've tried and what you like or don't like about them? Yeah, you know, this is Merrick. I, I, I've used a lot of them, Dust and Handlebars and Mustache and Hogan and and uh, all of them. I, underscore? I, underscore templates, of course, which actually are quite elegant for for how like little they cost. I've done jQuery templates as well. jQuery templates, yeah, I've done those. And and I think handlebars comes out as a is a big winner for me because I can do the pre compilation and I can use them you know on Node and a lot of people already have mustache templates and so it's not like a far stretch to refactor to something like handlebars. What is the difference between mustache and handlebars? Well, handlebars there's a few differences. There's a few things that once you start using mustache, in my opinion, that that will commonly frustrate people. One of them is like if you if you try and go down into an element. You can't go back up. So say you have like a, you're iterating through a list of people and above people you have like a count of the total people. You can't go up and get that count within that, within that iteration. You're locked within the context. Also, mustache also isn't like extendable at all. It's, it's basically like if else and then printing keys and then iteration. And, and the if syntax is the exact same syntax as the iteration. So if you want to check if a collection exists, it'll start iterating through it instead of checking if it exists. So you have to do a lot more pre-processing in your view models for mustache. Whereas handlebars is a little bit more flexible. They give you like a, a helper syntax to write your own helpers. They offer pre-compilation. So you can basically pre-compile your templates with Node.js or Rhino or whatever and then just ship a runtime. So that way you get kind of a performance boost. There are pre-compilers, though, for Mustache now, like Twitter has one called Hogan, but, but Handlebars just ends up being a little bit more flexible, and it seems to be a little bit more useful because of that for me. Mm. Well, what about some of these other ones? Jameson, you said that uh, ITV has Mold.js. How does that compare to some of these other ones? So the main issue that I run into with using these other template engines is in cleaning up event handlers and, and avoiding re-rendering elements. or, or destroying the whole world because one little the tiny piece. element of something you're trying to render changed. And maybe that's because I don't know how they work very well. Hey, Chris. Um, can, I don't know, Mary, you can I probably clear this up for me, though. But so, show. say you have some backbone oh, view awesome. and you bind a bunch of events <laughs> to some <laughs> DOM elements in the view. The and then you re-render the view because something changed. By oh, default, awesome. won't it destroy the DOM element and make a new one? <sighs> So it doesn't like destroy the total DOM element, but it by default it rips out kind of the internals and, and replaces the content, right? So but if that's, you have, doesn't that leave event handlers dangling? No, because because the backbone views use event delegation. So since that parent element is what have the events that it dealt, so all the events are listened to by the parent element, which never gets destroyed unless oh, you have okay. something called move. So it delegates the events. But you're right in that, like, sometimes if you just update, like, one property, you only want to, like, grab an element and just change the context rather than re-render this whole uh, view, right? But that's not necessarily a restriction of, of, of these templating engines like handlebars. That's more of a restriction of, of the way Backbone approaches the problem. Backbone kind of has this, this, it's not the like like we said. Backbone is so unopinionated, but this is how people naturally tend to use it. They say, "When my model changes, recall render." 
right? Or instead of saying, when my model fires a change event for this particular key, just re-update this little element. You can do that with Backbone. And you can do it declaratively with your templates, uh, with handlebars, right? Like Ember.js offers first-class uh, data binding, like almost unparalleled. Like I, I don't know of a framework... Uh, from my perspective, that does a better job of basically optimizing when an event changes, computing how it should be rendered in the view, and then updating just that specific view element. And they do it all with uh, handlebars helpers, right? Like I was saying how you could extend handlebars. Well, well, Ember just uses handlebars, and they, they implement these handlebars helpers that basically listen to these computer properties and these events from their run loop, and then update just those subsets of the DOM by using, I think it's called Metamorph JS. If you guys wanted to look at it, it's on. It's a separate project, but it lets you basically update just sub pieces. Uh, and and I think that's what uh, Ember JS uses to get that kind of Mold JS functionality that you're talking about. Isn't uh, isn't that kind of the strength of Knockout as well, though? Is that two way binding? Yeah, yeah. Knockout does a great job. Other than, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, badmouth any any libraries. My, one of the problems that I have with uh, Knockout is just that it requires you to do a lot of sort of weird attributes, and I guess you kind of do the same thing uh, with with um, handlebars. It's just more of a DSL. But yeah, that is the strength of Knockout. So now there's a pause. I want to bring up another one that I like is PureJS, and I think I've talked about this one before, but the nice thing about it is it's not a handlebar syntax. Like, I think the handlebar syntax is great for something that doesn't have a data structure associated with it, like a plain text file or something like that. But the DOM isn't a plain text file. It has nodes. It has stuff. So PureJS is nice because it uses your class names to determine how the template works. So if you don't have a class on something or you don't have an element, then there's nothing to, to template. And it does the pre-compiling and, you know, all that like the other ones do. But instead of using the double bracket syntax, it's something that's easy, I feel, to um, work with designers with, too, because then they get to see, like, your dummy value. And then the class name is kind of, you know, maybe hidden from them or they don't touch it, doesn't get in their way. I got a question for you on PureJS. Do they do they work with, like, the DOM APIs or or what? So... Uh, the way that I believe it works is that you pass in your object, which is a mapping between CSS selectors and then data selectors, and then it runs over a bit of the HTML. You can run it like uh, you can do a compile step or you can just render it flat out, but if you want the optimization, you do this compile step. And so I think that that does some DOM manipulation stuff, but then creates a function that spits it out more often. So, yeah. you know, yeah, because that's usually the criticism of that approach. Like, this idea of CSS selectors being the way to, that you talk to the DOM, I think is awesome. Um, but the problem is, is just the performance aspect of it, which working with strings tends to be a lot faster. And, and I don't know, what are your thoughts on uh, Plate or Plates.js? So I haven't used plates yet. I think you mentioned to that me to me before, and I I really do want to take a look at that. But to answer the previous concern, so you can think of it like this: you can do the DOM manipulation on the CSS classes, and then once you've done that, you can put 
handlebars in there, right? Or some sort of token that allows the engine to know. So you run the compile step. It does a little bit of DOM manipulation, figures out where things are, can stringify it, and then put in its token so that then it's manipulating a string and actually outputting a string. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's then, cool. I mean, I would hope in in the the brightest part of my heart that people don't use click handlers anymore. And I know that's not true. Like 97% of people still do, but I never write a click handler. I always use the delegate method. Always. Yeah, the delegate Every. method makes so much more sense. Like when you're trying to get, even if you're getting stuff in from Ajax and you're just replacing it, like, and from a performance aspect, delegates, delegation is just a better way to go. But one, one thing that is worth looking at for those of you guys who haven't heard of plates, it's from the Node Jitsu guys. It's part of the, part of the flat iron framework. But what, what plates lets you do is it lets you interact with, it's kind of a DOM templating thing with CSS selectors, except for because the DOM interaction is relatively slow, they did it all with strings. So you can basically map a CSS selector to a value, kind of like, kind of like, I guess, PureJS. I haven't looked at PureJS enough, but it sounds like they've done some really cool things in PureJS to get the performance optimization. That's awesome. Well, I'm not positive that that's how it's done. But that's intuitively what I would think, and it says in the documentation that it that the compile step optimizes the function. So I don't know, I haven't actually looked at it to know exactly what it's doing. Um, however, I do want to highlight that there is some negative to PureJS, and that is that the the directive mapping is sometimes a little hairy. I find that I I commonly have to go back to the documentation to look at a few simple examples because it isn't for whatever reason, it just isn't intuitive enough for me to be able to get it right every time. Um, Interesting. So, and that's something that it looked like plates when I was looking at their documentation, it seemed like it was a, a little bit more intuitive uh, the way that they use functions, whereas pure doesn't have any functions. It's just a map object where you map, they have a special, a special key that's an arrow symbol. Like if you want to iterate over an array, the key is the arrow symbol, and then the value is a submap. Yeah, plates is pretty cool. And those those Nojitsu guys, like they're awesome if you need support and stuff. So um, I have to ask. This is my noob question for the episode. In fact, I might I might just coin that as a term. Anyway, my noob question of the episode is: What's the difference between a click handler and the delegate function? Do you want to answer that, AJ? Or yeah. So with the click handler, you're actually specifying that that particular element has the memory reference to the function that is handling it. So I have a button, I assign a click handler either in the HTML itself or through JavaScript, like a jQuery dollar sign select button dot click type thing. And that function is memory reference to that DOM element. Whereas if I want to create a reusable widget, then I could have the widget ID. So like say an email form or something, or um, that's not really a good example. Um, say photo gallery, like your Facebook friends type thing, right? So on the container for the widget that has all of the widget items is where I attach the actual listener. So it would be like jQuery would be dollar sign select widget name dot on. And then sub selector for 
the the picture or the whatever the item is. So effectively what you're saying is if any of this type of element that is a child of myself gets interacted with, then then call the handler. I'm not sure I completely so so what's the difference what's the difference between I mean uh, other than that you're up a layer in the DOM, what's the difference? So here's here's one of the biggest things, uh Chuck. Say you're working in backbone. Have you ever seen the events like hash? You can put an events key and then you can put like a selector yeah. slash event and then so that uses delegation and it binds it to your parent view. Um so whenever your parent view gets clicked, it figures out if it delegates and figures out if that child was the target of that event. Oh all back. So now what's cool is A, all of those event listeners are only in memory once. So say you have a, a for example, say you have a list of about a thousand users. Rather than putting an in-memory reference to each of those users, you can just put an in-memory reference once to the UL and then use delegation to figure out which of the users was clicked. So that way you have one event listener rather than however many thousands of users you have. So the, the difference in how it figure is in how it figures out what was clicked and how to deal with it. The, the, the overall mechanism is mostly the same. It's just that you're up a level and so you can, you don't have a million references to. Exactly. Right. And function. also, yeah. And also what's cool is now you can replace your children, right? Like you can re-render your, your template a hundred times without having to rebind your events. Ooh. So this because is what I was asking Merrick about earlier. Yeah, in that case, Merrick, what you're talking about, let me see if I, I, I'm clear on what you're saying. You'd still put the uh, click the in the in backbone the hash. You'd say you know click, and then the selector would be li, and what and if the your backbone views um, element the el property pointed at the ul, the handler is actually on the ul, but it's only firing if an li yeah. actually gets clicked. Yeah, and delegation has been in jQuery for a long time. It's not even. I mean, if you look at Backbone's events hash, they really just parse that out and, and defer it to jQuery.delegate. Um, and so, or, or I think it's delegate, um, but... Right, now it's dot on. Is it? Okay. Delegate, delegate still works, but the new syntax is just dot on. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, so so the, the it's just because back in the day when you were making an Ajax request and getting markup from the server, you had this awkward, like, Oh, I need to rebind all the events to this markup that I just got back. So delegation also helps with like working with it because you could get markup in your events. You wouldn't have to rebind and unbind, right? Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Cool. All right. So do you know if if some of these other frameworks like Ember or Ext or you know some of the larger frameworks that may or may not rely on jQuery use delegation? Is there a good way to know that? I think most all of them use delegation whenever they can. So it's just yeah, an assumption that most of these follow a best practice of some kind, and that would be one oh, yeah. of them? Oh, yeah. The, the wins with delegation are, are are one of those that are just so obvious, you know, that like once you understand it, that it, as a framework author, I'd be surprised if you didn't use delegation everywhere you could. Yeah, and there's not really any downside, right? Because even in the smallest case... Let's say that you're only going to put one click handler on your entire page and you're never even going to replace that element. There's no extra cost in doing it that way. So it's kind of one of those, those discipline type things where if you only do it that way, you never have any disadvantage and you always get the advantage. Makes sense to me. 
So the the only other thing that I, I wonder then, because we've talked a lot about how um, some of these frameworks and templating engines uh, insert things into the DOM, do they do most of them work through simply adding a string or text inside of whatever element, or do they actually do some kind of um, DOM manipulation or replacement stuff in basic jQuery at, at its core level? No, so most of them actually don't even care how they're inserted. Most of them, um, like most of them, are compatible with Node.js um, right out of the box because they don't necessarily care about the DOM. Because I guess they made a design decision. Whether it's because the DOM is slow or not, that's that's whatever. But but the truth is, most of them just basically take some sort of syntax. They come up with some sort of token tree, and they parse that token tree into a function that then takes a data context and then just interpolates those data keys into that string. So for the most part, it's almost all like string generation from what I've seen with these templating engines. Maybe you guys have seen something else. Yeah. Peer definitely uses the DOM, at least in the compile step and perhaps in the render step. So one other thing that I kind of want to dig into a little bit with this, and, and this has been the trade-off that I've seen between Axt and some of these others, is that if you're if you're writing your own templates for your components or your views or whatever you want to call them, it's pretty easy to just know what's there. And the trade-off that I've seen with XJS is simply that you have to learn their API in order to get the components in that you want. And so it's a learning curve question more than anything else. Yeah, but I I tend to love that, right? Because when people are interacting with your API, you have defense to change how it's rendered. Yeah. And you can test it uh, based on the API rather than uh, the state, which is essentially you know, the final state of a component ends up being the DOM, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think anybody who's tried to test anything in the DOM has, knows how brittle that is. And so if you have something that manages it at a higher level, there is a definite payoff there. Hey, um, one thing I wanted to uh, just clarify from our previous discussion, uh, in jQuery, if you're using jQuery, the click, uh, if you use the click handler, you know, dollar sign dot click, well, dollar sign selector dot click. It actually does defer to on or in essence delegate the same way that calling just dot on works. jQuery's been that way since I think 1.7. So that jQuery itself is actually internally fixed, you know, fixing you from making mistakes there. So is it attaching it just to the body at the highest level or? No, I mean, Truth is, is it is it looks like it's still appending it to the element um, and just deferring to on, but because because I think it I think it nulls the the selector parameter, yeah, like the child selector parameter, right? Okay. So you're not getting the benefit as if you had called yeah, on. I don't think you are getting the I don't think you are getting the delegate benefit if you if you look at it. Yeah. yeah. So so two more things that I want to point out with using X that we ran into. One is is that we. We were writing Selenium tests to run through things. If you don't know what Selenium is, in in essence, it's an acceptance testing framework that it basically attaches to DOM elements, and then you know it'll click them or fill them in or do whatever it's supposed to do. Uh, you know, select something out of the list, and then um, so you can essentially drive it. It fires up Firefox, and it just drives Firefox. It also has an option for Chrome. And one thing that we ran into with XJS was that we actually had to open up, open things up and inspect the DOM to find the elements that we wanted it to work through and then click on it 
And the real issue was that Ext, if you don't specify an ID uh, or a class name, it generates them. It's all random, yeah. And so it it makes your test brittle because if you add more things to the the layout or to the view, then what you wind up doing is changing that magic number. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. So that that was one gotcha. And really the way that we got around it was simply providing DOM IDs for everything. And so we'd go in, oh, we need to attach to this, so it's going to be, you know, first name field or whatever. And then we could just reference it. So um, that was one gotcha that we ran into. The other thing that we, we've been doing lately is we built a functional prototype. And the functional prototype is as ugly as the default look and feel for XJS, which is, it's supposed to be shiny, but it's really, it, it's it's ugly. Anyway... So we, there's a design firm that's attached to the uh, development firm that I'm, you know, contracting with right now. And uh, so they gave us a new look and feel. And so uh, skinning this has also been interesting. But again, it just boils down to adding the classes that we need uh, so that it, you know, it gets the look and feel that we want. And so th those are some things to be aware of. And that one doesn't have magic numbers in the classes because, you know, they just use their... Uh, general classes to you know do what they do so but but those were things that we ran into with xjs where when i'm building things in in backbone and building out my own templates under the components a lot of times i have control over what those ids and classes are going to be and i can just reference them on my own instead of trying to figure out where they are and what the options are for specifying myself when i when i lay out the views yeah it seems like there'd be a way to generate unique IDs that weren't as random. I don't know, maybe that's something you can ask the XJS guys about? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, most of these run off of some kind of convention, so their convention is text field dash one two three four dash you know, text dot el or something. And um, what you what you can do is some of the other ones, for example when Rails generates a view, and I know this is server-side and not directly applicable, but it'll actually generate the view, and part of the convention is giving it an ID of, um, you know, whatever element, and then the ID of the element that's there. And so it's ID underscore one if the element's ID is one in the system. Sure. And so um, I've seen conventions like that. It's just that X, X doesn't really follow them. And for a form like we're using, if the form's blank, then... You know, we named it first name, but, you know, there's no convention in X to call it, you know, first underscore name. It sets the name to first underscore name, but not the ID. Yeah, the selectors are, are randomly generated. That's really interesting. I would, I'm, 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 I'm surprised they don't offer some sort of API. I, I would think they would, like some sort of way to, to, to do the functional tests. Yeah, I don't know. They, they actually, I mean, you can set it, so you just give it an ID property on the object that that it reads and parses to create the component. So you just tell it ID, and then you could call it first underscore name or whatever, but it doesn't do that by default. Huh. So. Anyway, are there any other things that we want to go over? We're just about to the end of our time. No, I think it's... One thing I think is worth mentioning is is the Dojo framework. They they out of the box support kind of the the HTML base level stuff like not constructing it 
and they also support a programmatic. So they're they're also kind of a nice middle ground. Yeah, that's interesting. Dojo's been around for quite a long time, haven't they? Yeah, Dojo's uh, one of those underrated frameworks that's just absolutely amazing. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into the picks then. We'll make AJ go first. AJ, what are your picks? Yeah, I'm not even cringing this time because I got something ready for you. So if you are tired of Nikes and Vans, because I know that's what everyone wears exclusively. There are no other brands of shoe. But there I'm is. wearing slippers right now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that's that's not manly at all, Jameson. Well, it goes that. well. What you do backpack. in the privacy of your own, wherever you are, is not something you need to bring to this meeting. Um, <laughs> now, there's a um, a store called Aldo that I had never heard of, and they had some really cool boots, so I bought a pair. They're not quite cowboy boots, but they're close enough, and uh, they cost a couple hundred dollars less than cowboy boots, so I'm pretty happy about it. Nice. Yeah, that's all I have. Okay. Just, just shoes. Jameson, what are shoes. your picks? Mine's just this article I read this week. It's called On Being a Senior Engineer. It's a good read on what accounts for maturity in a developer, and it's not age. It's just uh, one guy's idea of, of what makes a senior engineer. I agreed with a lot of things in there. I disagreed with some of them, but it was, it made me think. So gets my pick, and that's it. Awesome. Uh, Joe, what are your picks? Uh, Joe stepped out for a second. Merrick, um, what are your picks? Yeah. So just say Joe picked My Little Pony while he's gone. Yeah. He, well, I have a list of his picks, but I, I figured. Wait, I is he a him. brony? Sorry. Is he a brony? Is he a brony? Come on, man. Brony. Yeah. Joe's a brony, isn't he? Not even. Now's Merrick's chance to out him. No. So, <laughs> so my picks are uh, the the new Joshua James album. It's called From the Top of Willamette Mountain. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, Spark. JS. If you look inside of the Meteor JS project, they have this really cool sort of templating thing that I touched on earlier, but it's within the Meteor project, but it's actually not required to use Meteor, and they do some really cool stuff with the templating. And then Grunt and Knit, like, I've been using Grunt and Knit to scaffold so much stuff lately. It's it's just awesome. Awesome. Those are my picks. Alright, well, if Joe's not back yet, I'll go ahead and go um, so the first pick I have is something that I've been wanting to read since I heard about it. It's a book by Brian Merrick. It's called Functional Programming for the Object-Oriented Programmer. And it just, it just seems like a fascinating thing. He, he's done a lot of Lisp and Lisp-like stuff as well as, uh, Ruby and some of the other object-oriented languages out there. And I think it'd be an interesting, uh, twist on on how to approach things. Functional programming has been an interesting an interesting way to explore the capabilities of some of the other languages that I use every day, like both Ruby and JavaScript. And so it's it, it looks like an interesting way to dive deeper into that. My other pick is the new media expo that's going to be going on in January. I don't remember exactly what day. I think it's the 6th through the 8th. Yeah, it's the 6th through the 8th. I'm actually going to be speaking at New Media Expo on podcasting. So if you want to come meet me, that's a great way to do it. It's in Las Vegas. Um, I don't remember what it costs. You can also get the online ticket for like 70 bucks or something. And it's three days. Um, it's just going to be really, really cool. And they talk about blogging. 
uh, podcasting and all the, all the stuff like that. So if you're interested in building an audience and, you know, doing things with new media, being blogging, podcasting, video casting, that kind of stuff, then it's definitely worth your while to make it. The rest of that week, incidentally, in Las Vegas is the Con- Consumer Electronics Show. And I have a press pass to that and I'm just going to rub that in. But <laughs> anyway, so, uh, those are my picks. Um, and, uh, is Joe back? Yep. All right. My turn? Yep. All right, so I got three picks. The first one, did somebody already pick the James Bond movie? Not All yet. Right. going to pick the James Bond movie. That was pretty awesome. Was uh, it good? Because Quantum of Solace was so disappointing. It was well, the most three different movies smashed together of any movie I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, there can... are three good movies. Wait, okay. what about Spider-Man 3? Because wasn't that three good movies? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my second pick is uh, just on Tuesday. Lego Lord of the Rings was released, so Ooh. I actually haven't played it yet. But I've loved every Lego game in the past, so I'm definitely buying this one. Definitely playing it. Very excited about that. Is this a board game Lego game, or no, is no, this no, a, a computer game? A uh, console. Okay. Uh, you can get it for the computer, but I highly would not recommend it on the computer because the interface just lends itself a lot more to actual controllers. So we. Xbox 360, PlayStation, and they have versions for the DS3. Let me know when the build-it-yourself board game comes out. I'll get that one. (laughs) (laughs) They have, well, not the board game, but they have... They have Lego board games. Yeah, I've got the Harry Potter one. Right, I meant Lego Lord of the Rings. And then my last pick is the uh, Global Day of Code Retreat. So it's an event on Saturday, December 8th. It's um, global, I don't know how exactly global it is, but I think it definitely does span multiple continents. Did you but go last year? I did not. I did not so, go last year. So last year they had them all over, I mean, literally all over the world, and we were Skyping with the uh, with some of the other countries. I think we Skyped with Germany and with New York, you know, just between our different um, sessions. And uh, Corey Haynes kicked it off in Australia and wrapped it up in Hawaii. So he just, you know, flew across the Pacific and uh, ended it in Hawaii, one of them there. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool. Code retreats are awesome. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt, but... No, pl- you're great. Plus that's, one, plus one. It's good to have feedback because somebody's like, to Ben, this will be my first one. But the point is, uh, in your area, there's a good potential. There is a global day of code retreat going on on December 8th. It's free. As far as I know, everywhere, it's free to sign up and go and participate and it's like six or seven eight hours and you get to do things like test driven development pairing um working on the typically the game of life and it's like in six different sessions it's very interesting everybody i've talked to said it was just the most awesome experience so yeah it's totally worth it and you you get challenged in different ways with it the other fun thing was that you you pair every time and so you get to do it in different languages and stuff um, one other thing I want to mention is that you probably want to go look at it now because it's coming up fast. And at least out here in Utah, they had one. They were only having one, and it uh, it sold out like two days. It sold out. So yeah, they opened so a second one, and it sold out. And then they've yeah. opened a third one, and people are shuffling around trying to figure out which one they're going to go to. I don't know if they're all full yet or not. Right. So it's a popular event, so make sure you go check it out and make sure you get in. Cool. Sorry. I, I keep I keep talking over you. I'm sorry, Joe. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's great. Perfect feedback. So perfect contribution. So that's my picks. Awesome. Yeah, we have the Lego games too. My wife loves them, so I'll probably wind up getting that for her for Christmas. But she doesn't listen to these shows, so 
She won't know that I said that. Anyway. Her loss. Yeah. Anyway. I'm sure um, she'd be super interested. Yeah. So any are there any announcements, anything you guys are working on that you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Well, I do think it's important to note that tomorrow, uh, being National Hug a Mormon Day, would be a great day to hug me if you see me. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap the show up on that note then. Go yeah, hug good AJ. Note. See ya. Good night. Goodbye.